0: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is A.B. Dowji, and this is The Big Picture, broadcasting simultaneously on Radio Islam and Radio Al-Ansar. Al-Ansar, and how's it? All you wonderful people out there, did you have an exciting week? (laughs) One minute, boiling hot. Then thunderstorms, then load shedding, then no water. Never a dull moment. Everything coming up roses? Habibi? Everything coming up roses? Roses and chocolates. That's on the minds of some people. Why? Because very soon, it will be Valentine's Day. So let me throw some cold water on anyone contemplating sending flowers, chocolates, or perfumes. Yes, I am a spoiled sport. And Google Mota says this. Valentine's Day, also called St. Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine, is celebrated annually on February 14th. It originated as a Christian feast day honoring one or two early Christian martyrs named St. Valentine. Through later folk traditions, it has become a significant cultural, religious, and commercial celebration of romance and love in many regions of the world. <laughs> Did you hear that? A Christian feast, a uh, Christian feast day honoring early Christian martyrs St. Valentine. (laughs) Amru, Eh? Kabardar! So while I was checking out what was the origin of St. Valentine's Day, I came across something quite bizarre and maybe even hilarious. Generally on Valentine's Day, people send gifts indicating love and affection and all those wonderful things. But here's something quite bizarre. On this day... You can send something to your ex-spouse, your ex-wife or husband. This is a genuine story, and it was on News24 website. Listen to this. There are different ways to celebrate the month of love, and it does not have to be all romantic and lovey-dovey. If you want to express just how you feel about your ex, then... San Antonio Zoo has the perfect idea. The zoo has an annual Valentine's Day edition to help raise funds for wildlife in Texas and worldwide. For a donation of $5 uh, to $25, that's about 86 rands to 430 rands, you can name a cockroach after your ex. <laughs> While some will be receiving Valentine's Day flowers and romantic treats, you will receive a digital Valentine's Day card, which your ex will also receive, informing them that a cockroach has been named after them. (laughs) And it turns out many other zoos in the U.S. do this. According to CBS News, the Bronx Zoo also has a Name a Cockroach program. You can send your ex a tote bag or a tumbler with a cockroach image informing them they have one named after them. Is that word, Tamla, eh? <laughs> And you people pick on us in Durban. So, <laughs> yes, this is all I have to say. Imagine receiving a digital Valentine's Day card with a nice big heart on the cover, and when you open it, there's a picture of a big cockroach with the words, this is Rashida, for example. <laughs> and still on the subject of cockroaches, hear this. Hear this. Where is it now? Let's see. The Johannesburg High Court. Anyway, let me just finish the last bit there about this uh, cockroach. At the El, uh, El Paso Zoo, the cockroaches you name after your exes are fed to animals at the zoo, like iguanas, Skinks and meerkats. Meerkats. Right, so let's get to the next story about cockroaches. The Johannesburg High Court found businessman and Patriotic Alliance Deputy President Kenny Kunene guilty of hate speech for calling EFF leader Julius Malema a cockroach. Kunene has to apologize and withdraw his statement. <laughs> Dear listeners, something absolutely dramatic happened an hour ago. I received an urgent email, which I was asked to read out on the Big Picture program. The email was from the International Association of Cockroaches. This is what it says. We, the International Association of Cockroaches, hereby express our extreme annoyance as Mr. Kenny Kuneni for comparing us to Mr. Julius Malema. We take exception at this unwarranted insult. We would like it to be known that we have been around for millions of millions of years and have been living peacefully with human beings. And generally our numbers only come out, uh, sorry, our members only come out at night to feed on leftovers and general garbage that is discarded. We have billions of card-carrying members all over the world who are extremely angry and we intend seeking legal opinion to formulate a charge of hate speech against Mr. Kunani for comparing us to Mr. Malema. The International Association of Cockroaches also intends demonstrating peacefully outside the Human Rights Commission in Pretoria. <laughs> well, there you are, folks. A very angry email I just received. I think... uh Kenny Cuneney is doomed. Did you get that, Mota? No? Doomed. Cockroach. No? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Fro will explain it to you, okay? Anyway, let's get back to what the court said. Kenny must make an unconditional apology to Julius within 30 days. Not only about calling him a cockroach, but also... A frog during a TV interview on ENCA in November 2021. Now wait a minute, yeah, Minier. wait a hold on, boss. He called him a frog, and that's also regarded as hate speech. Ah, bo, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me apply my non-existent thumb knowledge of the law. Let me ask you this question say uh, from a list of all the animals and insects which one would be uh, would be uh, let me start again say from a list of all the animals and in- insects which one would be regarded as insulting if i called you by that name for example if i called you an elephant would you be deeply angered and charge me for hate speech what about mosquito or songololo Or crocodile? Who decides which animal or insect is a derogatory name to refer to someone? Can Ramaphosa sue for being called McBuffalo? And what about frog? Yes, of course, people do call uh, other people names, but these are just insults. But hate speech? Aye, boy. And this is what the EFF said. The EFF said Kunene's uh, comments were not only hateful, but were not considered of the historical impact of derogatory terms used to refer to human beings in inciting violence and genocide. Whoa. Let me repeat that. The EFF said Kunene's comments were not only hateful, but were not considered of the historical impact. Of derogatory terms used to refer to human beings in inciting violence and genocide. Good heavens. What have we here, Habibi? Well, historically, this is the situation. In Serbia, for example, the state TV, um, TV stations, they broadcast repeatedly videos of what seemed to be babies floating down the Drina River. And the message was that Muslims were killing Serbian babies in some sort of rituals and so on and so on. So Serbians were very angry. Serbs were very angry. And so uh, this false propaganda against an entire people was partly responsible for the massacres in Bosnia. Jews were demonized in Germany as bloodsuckers of the economy and other such claims, which led to the Holocaust. In India, Muslims are attacked with, uh, with the claim that they, for example, are uh, involved in something called love jihad, deliberately trying to uh, marry uh, Hindu girls and, uh, and, and converting them to Islam. So this is a demonstration of demonizing a whole group of people, which resulted in violence and genocide. History is full of such examples. Now, to equate this to Kenny calling Julius a cockroach would result in, somehow in violence and genocide and all of that, it's, in my view, totally silly. Insult? Yes. But hate speech? Ish, I don't know, eh? Anyway, Kenny is not taking it lying down. Let me read you more. Kenny said he would appeal the verdict saying that it was hypocritical of Malema to want to insult others but not to be insulted himself. And these are his actual words. He says, it was truly rich of Julius Malema to take me to the equality court when he so proudly sings, kill the boer, kill the farmer, which somehow isn't hate speech. For me, as a layman, that is incitement to violence against a minority ethnic group. Malema spews violence out of his mouth over and over. It was shameless of Malema to take me to court after calling uh, Pravin Gordon a dog that must be kicked so the master can come out. Right? These are the words of Mm -hmm. Kenny. Now, there you are, folks. I think Kenny makes a very valid point. But there's never a dull moment, Habibi. Last night, while having tea in the dining room by the light of a rechargeable lantern, I was saying to my son-in-law and nephew that the African National Chorwans made a very big mistake. For one thing, they wrecked the state-owned enterprises, that's the SOEs, such as Danel, our arms manufacturing entity. They wrecked SAA, Transnet, and so on. But they should have. They should have maintained ESCOM. They should have made sure that the electricity always worked. The lights stayed on. Why? Because, well, wrecking SAA uh, through corruption and mismanagement didn't really impact on ordinary South Africans. Directly, I mean. Yes, we were quite upset that it crashed, but, well... If uh, we traveled, uh, to, if if we had to travel, there were many other alternatives like um, Emirates, uh, Qatar Airlines, Egypt Air, and so on. No uh, problem in getting a flight. And if our arms manufacturer, Danel, went bankrupt, well, it was something distant bad, but not affecting us directly. But lights suddenly going off. Oh, yes, and everyone is directly affected. Boom! Darkness. And we sway at this useless government. Every day and every day we just sway when the lights go off. So it impacts on us in so many ways and directly. So bad planning on the part of the Chorwans. Quietly loot Denel and SAA, etc., but make sure the lights stay on. <laughs> of course, my, my tongue is probably in my cheek when I say that. Okay, Motabaji. And Ramaphosa described the rolling blackouts as a, natural, as a national state of disaster. Wow. I like it. A nice one, that national state of disaster. The fact is that the ANC is a state of disaster. But wait. Wait, dear people. Can you guess who said this? Listen carefully. Who said this? State capture under the ruling party's government is to blame for ESCOM's ongoing load shedding. The load shedding was caused by years of systematic political corruption. Did you hear that? Who said that? Can you guess? State capture under the ruling party's government is to blame for ESCOM's ongoing load shedding. The load shedding was caused by years of systematic political corruption. I'm just getting a call coming in here. Anyway, so who said that? Can you guess anyone? No? It was the ANC's new... Secretary General Fikile Mbalula. Mbalula. Fikile Mbalula. He said this on Newsroom Africa TV station, where he was commenting on the ANC's call for a national state of disaster. So there you are, folks. State capture. Two words. But the question must move beyond these two words. The question must be who were the rogues and who put them there in the first place? Mm. Now that, bio or Beno, is a can of worms that's set to open. Ramaphosa, Fikile, Fikile, and all the rest were there during the state capture year, the nine wasted years, the nine Chorwan years under Jacob Bay. Who decided who will be at SAA, at Danel, at ESCOM, and so on? That, dear listeners, is set to come out soon. Here's yesterday's news report. Um, the D- Democratic Alliance has claimed a historic victory after the court cleared the way for the release of documents related to the African National Congress, Kader deployment policy, the court found the ANC had no grounds to refuse to make public its minutes, WhatsApp conversations, emails, CVs, and other records of its Kader deployment committee, finding it unlawful and invalid. The DA has submitted to the court that the records of the ANC's Kader deployment committee were required because its policies and practices influenced who was appointed to key state institutions. The party's Leon Schreiber, who brought the application, stated that the policy played a role in corruption and state capture. He said, President Cyril Ramaphosa chaired this committee all throughout the years of Jacob Zuma's presidency, during which time the committee exercised undue influence to ensure the appointment of the corrupt cadres who captured and collapsed our state. Today's ruling is a historic victory. A historic victory by the DA for transparency and the rule of law. The court... Let's just see where I am now. The court decided... The, ANC, the, court, the court directed the ANC to provide all documents and information within five days of the order being made. The court also ordered the ANC to pay the DA's costs and hand over documents dating back to 1st January 2013 when Ramaphosa became the chairperson of the CADER diploma Deployment Committee. Mm-hmm. So there you are. The Tamasha can of worms is about to open. But, of course, the ANC will have to keep a lid on it. And so it is going to appeal the court's judgment. If they fail in the bid, then our man Rama could be in the soup. Lekker, hot, halim brazo. <laughs> Who decided to send the Chorwans to loot the state? Hmm? Mr. New Dawn must be very worried. Mr. Tumamina, hey, ubani wena the choncha. That is the question in my high-class Zulu that is being asked. And yet, the pala pala train has not reached the station. Every now and then, you can hear it. Pala pala, pala pala, pala pala. Pala pala my dear listeners. The corruption is like a cancer that has been spread throughout the body of South African society. Of course, you know that already. We are a sea through sorry, we are a sea right nation. We are a sea right nation. You pay your speeding fine with a KFC streetwise five plus chips. See right boss and anything will be done. Of course there are many very good upright civil servants but they seem to be as as elusive and as rare as the white rhino. Am I exaggerating? I don't know. And so to the very hot story. Hot story. Hotspurs getting one billion rands. The word is maja. and what a hot story, Habibi! What a hot story it is. But wait a minute. Let me say this. I am very, very, very angry with the South African Tourism Board, wanting to spend one billion rands on uh, on Tottenham Hotspurs. Yes, folks, I'm very, very cross indeed. Why? well because we were told on thursday that if we spend the 1 billion rands we will get a it eight we will get 88 billion rands in return from foreign tourists coming here with money to spend hmm? if we spend 1 billion rands we will get 88 billion rands in return from foreign tourists coming here with money to spend yes folks South African Tourism Board's acting CEO, Temba Kumalo, worked this out very, very clearly, in detail. Guaranteed a minimum of eighty eight billion, if one billion was invested. Why am I cross? Very simple, Mota. Very simple. Why do we want to invest invest just one billion if we're getting such a huge return? Let's invest ten billion. Then we'll get eight hundred and eighty billion. Hey, makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. come on, let's make it one trillion, okay? One trillion. Wow, man, that would give every South African a lovely villa with a Merc parked in the garage. (laughs) What an amazing economic plan, eh? (laughs) At the press briefing on Thursday, Komala was all blustering arrogance, saying that the deal is a good one. And in his words, when you do something new and innovative, heroes and villains are the same person. Mm, Wonderful stuff. I heard him speaking and he sounded like a preacher. Maybe he was a preacher. Maybe he is a preacher. Good heavens, I discovered that, in fact, Temba Kumalo, if he is the same person, is actually Bishop Temba Kumalo. So I got this information, and I googled his name and checked his photograph, and I am almost convinced it's the same guy. And if he is the same guy, then there's a lack of juicy story that he is part of a church called the Alleluia. International Ministries. This is the church where in 2019, Pastor Alf Lukau prayed over a supposedly dead man lying in a coffin. And then this dead fellow rises up slowly from the coffin with the crowd shouting, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! It was all a fake, of course. So I could be wrong, but the photographs on the internet indicate that Bishop Temba Kumalo and acting CEO of SA Tourism are one and the same. Go check it up yourself. Go check it up, okay? Well, it seems that the 1 billion soccer deal is dead. Will Bishop Kumalo bring it back to life? Or is the key going to be dished out already? In fact, it seems that he himself is in hot halim. I heard on radio Rebecca Davis the lady who broke the story on uh, Daily Maverick, that she asked Kumalo at the media uh, uh, meeting at the, at the conference, was there any agency involved in this deal? And will they get any commission for putting the deal together? And uh, if I heard her correctly, she actually mentioned an agency called the WWP Group to Mr. Kumalo. Well, Mr. Kumalo... Is uh, alleged to have told her that he will answer her one to one. Hello, one to one means privately, outside of the meeting. Immediately, the indication is that dal me kuch kala Am I right, Mota? Why don't why don't you just answer straight a very simple question? So the next day, Rebecca Davis exposed a big worm that in fact an agency is involved, the name the WWP Group and that South African Tourism's interim chief financial officer, Johan van der Waal, is a director of a number of companies linked to the WWP Group. All these companies have one common address, no In a a uh, PowerPoint presentation made on the 27th of January, a few days ago, that is, the name WWP agency appears. Okay. Six times, in fact. And it seems that Van der Waals put the whole uh, scheme together. So why didn't Kumalo say yes, an agency was involved, and the big one, wow, this is a whopper. The agency would receive 313 Million rands for putting the deal together. She right, Maja what a circus, Habibi! And through all of this, ah shame, man. We are told that the Minister of Tourism, Lindiwe Sisulu, knew nothing about all of this. I haven't heard a word from her. But since it all hit the fan, I'm sure it will spur her to do something. Did you get that, Mota? Spur her to do something. Ask your for. <laughs> Even Rama said that the deal was unjustified. So, cabinet reshuffle time, boss. Cabinet reshuffle time to chuck out the dead wood. What are you waiting for, uncle? <sighs> hey, I don't know, man. You remember the song? South Africa, we love you, our oh, beautiful land. Let's show the whole world we can bring peace in our land. <laughs> but what I have to say, Abibi, is cry the beloved country. Hmm? Cry the beloved Okay, let's change the gears a bit, okay? You know I feel so sad so sad for the palestinians so depressed and angry at at how much they are suffering every day i get tons of information about the brutality they are subjected to brutality sheer brutality and they've been subjected to this for the past 80 years it's horrible Evil, disgusting, uncivilized, barbaric, and it's getting worse. And, and and don't you feel helpless when you hear all of this? Don't you feel paralyzed? What can you really do to change the situation? Maybe you can do something. Maybe it's uh, relatively small, but it is, it is significant. Well, more of that after I read this, uh, uh, from this article that gives a glimpse of the thinking of the racist fanatics. And in my view, worse than the AWB of the past in South Africa. And they claim to be motivated by God. (laughs) Listen to this. A far right Israeli lawmaker tweeted Keep killing them these are his words that he tweeted in response to so Israel's deadly raid on Jenin that killed nine Palestinians on Thursday in a post that has since been removed by by the Twitter platform. Almar Kohan Cohen, a Knesset member, Knesset of course is the parliament of Israel, a Knesset member belonging to the Jewish power party, tweeted Nice and professional work by the fighters in Jenin. Keep killing them. After widespread condemnation online, the post was removed because it violated Twitter rules. On Thursday, Israeli forces raided the Jenin refugee camp and killed nine Palestinians, wounding 20 others in one of the deadliest assaults on the Occupied West Bank in recent years. Several heavily armed soldiers entered the camp on Thursday morning, targeting a building used as a meeting place for residents. The latest fatalities brings the number of Palestinians killed this month to 30, including at least six children. Cohen, who has been a parliamentarian since the 1st of November elections, served for 11 years in the Israeli police as part of a SWAT team. In October, Cohen published a photo (coughs) taken of himself nine years ago, kneeling over three Palestinians from the town of Rahat, um, Tarib al-Turi and his two sons, Rauf and Nidal, who lay bound on the ground. Cohen kept, captioned the picture. This is what he wrote about the picture. Those down there remember what I did in the army with a winking emoji. In 2013, The three Palestinians testified that the officers bound them, assaulted them in the groin area, urinated on their faces, and threatened them with a bullet to the head. No disciplinary action was ever taken against any of the police officers. The image enabled the three men to identify Cohen as one of the officers who attacked them and called on the Justice Ministry to reopen the case, which the investigation unit had closed because, as it claimed, those officers could not be identified. He is not the first far-right Israeli official to celebrate the killing of Palestinians. Itamar Ben-Giver, Israel's new national security minister, in December described a soldier who fatally shot a Palestinian man as a hero and, and hailed the killing as precise, swift, and rigorous. According to data compiled by Middle East Eye, Israeli forces killed more Palestinians in the occupied West Bank in 2022 than in any single calendar year since the Second Intifada. At least 220 people died in Israeli attacks across the occupied territories in 2022. eight children of the total death toll 167 were from the West Bank and East Jerusalem, and 53 from the Gaza Strip. Of those killed in the West Bank last year, 55 were in Jenin, the highest of any region in occupied Palestine. There hmm. so you have this. What kind of people are these? Eh? They regard themselves as being very religious people, yet they celebrate the killing of innocent people. 48 children. This is just pure hate and pure evil and the so-called civilized world either supports them or turns a blind eye to this murderous thugs. And if you criticize them then out you go. Ilham uh, Umar a brave woman suffered the consequences of speaking out in support of the Palestinians out in the land claiming to be the leading democracy in the world that a land of freedom and justice, of free speech, except if you criticize Israel. So what can you do? Maybe in a small way you can make a difference, make a contribution. And so we celebrate a small victory against bigotry. And to tell us all about this, we have on the line Roshan Dadu. Assalamu alaikum, Roshan, and welcome to the big picture. So tell us all about the positive message you have for us today.
1: Well, as you said, this certainly is a victory, Um, and we welcome the fact that the South African Rugby Union has bowed to our demands and rescinded its invitation to an apartheid Israeli rugby team called Tel Aviv Heat. Um, which they'd invited to come and participate in this new um, section of uh, Curry Cup called the Mzanzi Challenge Tournament. And whilst it is a victory, I think we have to also ask ourselves how come Saru thought it was okay in the first place? The South African Rugby Union, that's the top federation in our country, thinks it's okay to invite an apartheid Israeli team. I just heard the end of... uh, what you were saying earlier about the atrocities and and the escalation of home demolitions, uh, the situation for people in the villages in Masafayata that daily get attacked by settlers with uh, with the occupation forces protecting them. The home demolitions, even Human Rights Watch two days ago called it a war crime. They said this is collective punishment illegal under international law. Um, And they declared it a war crime. And yet our South African post-apartheid supposedly rugby union thinks it's fine to invite such a team. So we're delighted and it shows when you said what can people do, it shows that when we do get together and mobilize um Palestine solidarity organizations and activists, also people who were outraged by this invitation that had been former members of the South African Council on Sport that led the sporting boycott call from South Africa against our apartheid regime. Plus, many people may have seen a letter that John Minto in far away New Zealand wrote um, for the New Zealand press. Immediately he heard the news expressing his outrage. He's the Chair of the Palestine Forum in New Zealand But also was the former Chair of the organisation That halted South Africa's Apartheid rugby tours So I think you know it's, it's, We had support from Across the world, across South Africa And it was indeed a victory That we got the top rugby body With all of its money And it thinks it can do what it likes To back down on this But it's not the end of the story Because we have to insist on all our sporting federations implementing a policy of a sports boycott. We can't allow this to happen again. Other sporting bodies also just flaunt um, the call for a boycott. They use sometimes the excuse that there's no government policy. Well, if anyone heard anything from our Minister of Sports Arts and Culture over this invitation, it was a deafening silence. So we still have to keep the pressure also on our government to give, to make that policy direction, that then the sporting codes themselves can't find an excuse and a way around it. Um, but definitely, I think it does show that BDS can work, that we can have these victories, and that each victory will build upon itself until we kick the apartheid Israel out of the world um, sporting bodies, the world rugby and FIFA, and Saskok, and i think we really need to use the momentum of this victory to to keep the pressure on I mean, you can see the hypocrisy of uh, the way in which the sporting bodies just overnight managed to suddenly realize that politics and sports are connected and kick russia out after it invaded ukraine so that whole argument is falling apart that sports and politics can't be connected we saw the amazing support at the World Cup, of course, for Palestine from both fans around the world and teams, teams from countries that are normalizing relations with Israel. So I think there's really a turning point and we need to use this uh, momentum in order to push further and ensure that we don't ever have to deal with racist apartheid teams coming to South Africa um it i mean it's, it's 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 just an outrageous situation that they thought they could do this in the first place um so yes i think we celebrate the victory and we use it to uh keep the pressure on um you mentioned the the current extreme right wing government in israel who celebrates um massacre, the massacre in janin of the occupation forces um, it, I mean, I, the uh, National Minister of Security, Ben Gvir, praised those occupation forces, referring to their work as nice and professional and urging that they keep killing them. So I think in this context, we really have to up the pressure and use these victories and, and uh, mobilise um, to ensure that we cut all ties with Israel, not only sporting, cultural, diplomatic, trade, and implement sanctions, as happened against apartheid South Africa. Um, so I think, yes, we need to keep the pressure on and use this victory to remind ourselves that we can succeed. We can fight even these big players. I think it also shows how untransformed the rugby union is here, that they could even consider inviting a racist apartheid team like this. Um, And so they've exposed themselves pretty much as, uh, you know, their facade of being transformed and a uh, post-apartheid sporting body has been revealed because if you really were, you would not invite such a team, a team from such a country. Um, so I think we really need, in South Africa, Palestinians look to South Africa for solidarity and support. We've been getting messages from Palestinian sports people outraged at this, uh, this invitation that was issued by Saru. So I think we need to use that momentum and keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on until we really have full sanctions against apartheid Israel.
0: Well, there you are, folks, a small victory, but nonetheless a victory indeed. And and uh, here's one area in which you can get involved, the BDS movement. Um, Roshan, thanks so much for sharing this good news with us, and have a great day.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting us, and we hope we'll be able to come back with more victories, with more people mobilized, more South Africans angry at the way in which we're not doing enough to stand in solidarity with Palestinian resistance
0: and we collectively say inshallah to that right so let's move on and uh, so dear listeners regardless of load shedding as I always say there's always light at the end of the tunnel but just a quick word about Valentine's Day which I mentioned at the start of the program I told you that it's a Christian festival, and therefore you should avoid it. And some brothers will be hoping that their froes are listening so that they will be excused from buying flowers and chocolates. But just in case the fro didn't hear and is waiting expectantly for the gifts, well, if you come home empty-handed, it won't be Valentine's Day it would be Valentine's day. <laughs> Velen of course means rolling pin to collect some lucky conks on the head. Valen, Valen, watch out! And 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 uh, still sort of on the subject of Valentine's day, where laddus will send anonymous uh, from your secret admirer messages and cards. Uh, There's also guys who want to join matchmaking clubs, such as Lonely Hearts Clubs and so on, hoping to hook up with a life's partner. And I met Bob from Overport, and he he looked very sad. I said, hey, what's wrong, Bob? And he said, "Uh, you know, I sent my photograph to the Lonely Hearts Club, and they returned it saying, sorry, we are not so lonely. (laughs) Same, eh? Not nice to laugh eh? not nice. Right, and the other topic about tourists spending 88 million uh, rands when they, when they come over here to South Africa, I think they will spend much more. One dip in the sea in Cape Town or Durban and it's straight into ICU, right? Uh, some members of the Board of Directors of SA Tourism resigned, which reminds me of this message. As you pray for a good wife, also pray she has good friends, too, because those aunties are the board of directors. <laughs> Let's see. got time for one more. And this is from the graveyard of the light at the end of the tunnel. A rather old-fashioned lady was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida in the U.S. She also was quite delicate and elegant with her language. She wrote a letter to a particular camping ground and asked for bookings, asked for reservations. She wanted to make sure that the campground was fully equipped, uh, but she didn't know quite how, how to ask about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in a letter. After much thinking, after much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term. Bathroom commode. That was in the old days, they used to use that word to describe a toilet. Bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought that she was being a bit too forward. So she started writing the letter all over again, and she rewrote the entire letter and referred to the bathroom commode simply as B.C. Does the campground have its own B.C.? is what she actually wrote. Well, the cam- when the, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all, and when he got the letter, he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about, what that BC really uh, meant. What was it about? It stumped him. After worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to the other people, uh, the other campers, but they also couldn't figure out what the lady meant by the word "bc." The campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady was and must must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. right that's what they thought that she's referring to by the words b c to the Baptist church. So he sat down and wrote the following reply. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I, I now take pleasure of informing, uh, in that informing you in that in that the PC is located nine miles north of the campsite, and is capable of seating two hundred and fifty people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away. If you are in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> But no doubt, you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. (laughs) And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It, It may interest you to know that right now, there is a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the PC, so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pays me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down... To the campground perhaps i could go with you the first time you go sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks this is really a very friendly community <laughs> <laughs> uh, There <you> are. <laughs> i wonder what happened to that lady whether she went to the campground eventually <laughs> all right well that's all for this week this is A B Dowji bidding you all Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.